2: Welcome to Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Monday, April 3rd, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using... Some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at o r g If you go to that website and click on the two words in the upper left-hand corner that say Start Here, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why is this Happening to Me Again?, and that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual word. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we people do all of Primarily because... It tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they use these tools actively in their life, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate if you'd give us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1. That will give us an opportunity to talk. It will put the icon of a... Hand by your phone number, and I'll announce it by your area code, and we can have a conversation. So, we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for our, us to live into our intention with this work, which is the intention to be a service. How can we be a service to you? And the more you let us know what would be a service, the easier it is for us to live into that work. One of the things that's been as part of our topic over the past few weeks has been this book by Christian Sundberg. And Christian wrote a book about a walk in the physical, the concept of how we start as consciousness without a body and in an effort to grow to expand our abilities to experience love and compassion we decide to have a physical experience it's not something we need to do it's something we've chosen to do And in that process, in order to have an experience that's different from the experience of consciousness without a physical body, we take on what they call the veil, which is this forgetfulness. We are having a physical experience without the ability to remember that our true nature is consciousness itself and infinitely expansive and blissful. And when we take on that veil, as they call it, one of the things that happens is we have this ego experience. And in part of the book, he does some writing about fear and the ego. And we've talked about this before, but I think it's such a core part of the the physical experience for every human being that it's worth coming back and digging a little deeper into the concept of fear and the ego. And the writing that he does in this intro part of the book is he'll give a paragraph or a few sentences and then he'll make reference to several of the essays that he's downloaded or been inspired to write that might have relevant passages to the the paragraph that he just wrote. So here, under the title Fear and the Ego, the book says the ego is the part of the self that wishes to protect the self as the individual is having the alien experience of separation. Because without a body, there is no separation. We feel connected to everyone and everything. So he goes on and says, the ego is not a separate thing. It is an internal construct that arises as a response to fear. The ego seeks to relieve the individual from fear by attempting to reclaim power that seems to have been lost, but in fact was never truly lost. The ego's main activities include establishing belief, claiming false power, and justifying the self. Fear occurs when the soul engages in experience of form that it has not yet fully integrated. Fear reflects an opportunity for expansion. And this puts me in mind of some of the work we did with the Way of Mastery and I don't know if it came directly out of the book The Way of Mastery or if it was in the Darshans that JM did or in the Q&As from The Way of Mastery book. But the idea is that every time we experience something and then our interpretation of it, its meaning or its impact leads us to generate a very intense emotional state or a negative emotional state. The Way of Mastery book talks about that as this is a gift. This moment that's unfolding in front of me is giving me an opportunity to bring new presence to energies that once defeated me. And if I bring a new presence to those energies that once defeated me, if I bring the presence of the conscious awareness of love that all events are neutral, that I can grow and expand my repertoire of responses in this moment outside of fear I can move to compassion and and love and gratitude for the moment I can integrate an experience that used to had me shut down in fear that used to Defeat me in that sense. Where defeating me is defined as presenting something to me that I use to reinforce the thought that I'm less than love. He goes on and says, Fear occurs when the individual buys into perceptions that are not in alignment with the individual's fundamental true nature. The individual's true nature is immortal, powerful, free, deeply loved, and connected to everything. Fear can only occur when the individual's identity becomes, quote, tied up, close quotes, within the forms of the local experience which means the illusion of being separate. In other words, fear can only occur when the individual does not have conscious awareness of who he or she truly is. Love, which is the truth, dispels all fear. Fear is not conquered by resisting reality or setting up divisions, but by willingly experiencing reality exactly as it is. Fear wanes or vanishes as the individual fully allows all experience, and as the individual experientially finds his or her true nature beneath the many stories of the local play of Earth. Now, Guy Finley, at one point in one of his talks, he talks about how there are some misperceptions, there are some false beliefs that have to take place in order for a human being to generate fear. The first false belief is that whatever is unfolding in front of him or her is bigger than his or her true nature. And that's reflected in the writing that I just read to you. When we believe that we are separate, in other words, Fear can only occur when the individual does not have conscious awareness of who he or she truly is. So the first false belief that needs to be in place in order for an individual to generate fear is whatever this person or situation that I'm up against right now that I seem to be encountering in my life, it is bigger than me and I'm smaller than it. And this is a false belief In Guy Finley's words, the true nature of each of us is that we are expansive beyond thought, that we are, that our true nature extends beyond all of our fears, that our true nature is is immortal, powerful, free, deeply loved, and connected to everything. So when the truth of that is held in consciousness, there can't be fear. So Guy Finley says, the first false belief necessary for an individual to generate fear is they have a belief that whatever they're facing is bigger than them, and they don't have what it takes to deal with it. The second false belief is that whatever they're facing is there to either block them from getting something they absolutely need to survive, or is there to take from them something they need to survive and be happy. This is another false belief. And we can be assured that it's false because there are ancient teachings that say, you are whole and complete just as you are. Nothing of value can be taken from you. Nothing of value can be added unto you. So you are bigger than everything you face. Now, your thoughts about yourself, your thought structure that you call personality, your ego, is not bigger than what you're facing. It is very limited. It's only been developing since you had language within your family, within your culture. It does not recognize your true nature. It does not have the ability To recognize that the individual's true nature, your true nature, my true nature, the true nature of everyone you deal with, is immortal, powerful, free, deeply loved, and connected to everything. And as the last line of this writing says... As fear is processed and overcome or integrated, love and joy naturally expand. So fear reflects an opportunity for expansion. And the essay that's linked to that statement is essay 111, and it is titled, Fear as a sign of potential expansion. And it reads as follows. Fear is a reflection of the space in quote experience space close quotes that beingness is expanding into, that your true nature is expanding into. Fear is a reflection of the space within our physical experience that your true nature is expanding into. It reflects a, quote, distance, close quotes, that has not yet been experientially integrated. Fear is a sign that, quote, that which is, close quotes, the actuality of life, is engaged in something, whether it's a form or a perception, that challenges it and is giving it room within itself to expand into. If you are, as was mentioned in the last writing, if you are immortal, If your true nature is immortal, powerful, free, deeply loved, and connected to everything, then fear is an error in thought. And it can be used as an indication that we have the experience to expand in this moment. He goes on and says, in part, our physical reality is what happens when unharmable or perfectly safe consciousness decides to create a challenge for the purposes of actual experiential growth. Fear is not something that was created. It is simply what happens when existing consciousness, which is completely perfectly safe at all times, when existing consciousness engages a new constraint set that is not yet optimally developed to handle. So my consciousness isn't yet optimally developed to handle this constraint set that my consciousness invites. My consciousness invites it simply so my consciousness can expand. This is like going to the gym and trying to pick up a barbell, and it's too heavy. So I back off, and I pick up some barbells that are lighter, and I work with them, and I gradually work to heavier and heavier barbells. Why would I do that? To build the potential muscle strength to handle this differently. Why would I generate fear? Why would I generate a constraint set that feels too much for me to deal with? so I can expand into it, so that I can use that experience to grow and expand. So that last line again said, fear is not something that was created. Fear is simply what happens when existing consciousness, who you are, your true nature, engages a new constraint set that that consciousness is not yet optimally developed to handle. And that consciousness buys into perspectives that are not in alignment with its true nature. It's a temporary misalignment of my consciousness. It's not damaging to me. It is not, there is no way that your true nature can be chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. Fear is only possible when the spirit is engaged in challenge, which means it is working with a yet unintegrated experience. That is, fear is only possible when the spirit is engaging sense data or a form that it does not yet recognize for what it truly is. Or when spirit is buying into a belief that is not in alignment with the truth. Fear is just a growing pain that happens when, quote, that which already is, close quotes, engages in a real process of perspective integration. It does this to expand and become even more. In that sense, fear ultimately serves love's purpose of joy and expansion. Ultimately, There is nothing at all to fear. Fear is completely subservient to the greater and perfectly enduring truth of capital L love. When the, quote, game, close quotes, of growth and expansion is won or departed, there can be no fear. Fear is an illusion an artifact of perceived distance from true love and unity where no distance can actually occur. We perceive that we are distant from true love and unity. We can never be distant or separated from true love or unity. Fear is an illusion. It's an artifact of perceiving that we are separate from our true nature, and from the flow of life itself, that can never occur. But we can have the dream, we can create the perception, we can create the experience of it, but we can't ever be separate. Fear is not native to the soul, for our native being is one of total power, freedom, and love. And in the brightness of that light, every shadow of fear is completely dissolved. In the brightness of that light, every shadow of fear is completely dissolved. When you can have what Dr. Michael Rice would call total perfect conscious, active, present awareness of your true nature as love, fear is dissolved. Fear wanes or vanishes as the individual fully allows all experience and as the individual experientially finds his or her true nature beneath the many stories of the local play that we call Earth. The essay that they cite at the end of that statement is Essay 156, titled, Becoming Comfortable with Uncertainty. That essay reads, Become at ease with the state of not knowing. This takes you beyond mind because the mind is always trying to conclude and interpret. It is not afraid of not knowing. So when you can be at ease with not knowing, you've already gone beyond the mind because the mind itself is afraid of not knowing, the mind is always trying to conclude and interpret. This is from a quote by Eckhart Tolle. So when you become at ease with not knowing, you move beyond the mind, beyond what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind that just keeps churning and doing what it was programmed to do. As you learn that you can be at ease with not knowing, you've already gone beyond the mind. A deeper knowing that is non-conceptual then arises out of that state. That's quoted, attributed to Eckhart Tolle. The essay goes on. In its desperate striving for control, the ego hates uncertainty. Because we have fear and ego, we hate uncertainty. But the uncertainty that can occur within this veiled experience of the rigorous physical universe is actually taking place within the larger context of spirit, which is built on the law of love. Therefore, even when great certainty arises, we need not fear it. We are always in love's care. Uncertainty is an opportunity. As it arises, it provides valuable counterpressure that can allow one to face and feel the real fear that is within. When there is no shame in feeling fear, when our physical life or stability is threatened, even acknowledging that we feel it and allowing it to arise clearly, this is a step toward integrating it and healing it forever. As a sidebar here, this is one of the trickiest things for people I work with, whether they're coming out of addictions recovery or they're trying to break unhealthy relationship patterns. Most of the people I work with feel shame and and pile on the feelings of shame and worthlessness because they got caught up in an addictive pattern or because they got caught up in a, an abusive relationship pattern. And they beat themselves up mercilessly for the fear, for the pain, for the upset that they experience. And what this writing says is Uncertainty is an opportunity. As it arises, it provides valuable counterpressure that can allow one to face and feel the real fear that is within. There is no shame in feeling this fear. There's no need to pile shame on top of feeling this fear. If we sidestep the shame and the guilt and the beating ourselves up and just acknowledge that we're feeling afraid that we're feeling this uncertainty and we allow it to arise within us clearly breathe soften allow it to arise we're moving toward integrating it and healing it forever it goes on and says while uncertainty may evoke the fear of lack of control or having the perception of being powerless, that perceived lack of control is actually an opportunity. Power lies in accepting the sensation of powerlessness. When that, exception, when that acceptance is not just an idea, but a deep personal surrender, that is when true power is regained the process of becoming comfortable with uncertainty may not be a swift one but that is okay every step toward conquering fear is accomplishing real work it can potentially take many moments or many lifetimes to face and heal our deeper fears Yet we need not be daunted by the scope, for there is immeasurable power in this present moment. When uncertainty is arising in this present moment for you, what is it? Take a look at it. Question it. Whatever it is, just be here with it. Listen to your deepest heart and meet it as truly as you can. Do not fear This is how the play on the earthly stage is arising for you at this time. Your inalienable power to choose has not been removed, and it never will be. Make a choice from love, from courage, from honesty, and allowance, rather than from fear. The circumstances do not have to land a certain way for you to be free or for you to be you. Spirit is with you. Indeed, the very source of all things is with you right now. In that, truly, what is there to fear? When you are aware that the source of creation that's given rise to you and everything else is with you now in this moment, what is there to fear? So that's a little bit about fear and the ego. We've got about 30 minutes left. Plenty of time for conversation, questions, comments, worksheets, answers, soliloquies, 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1 and let us know how we can support you. What would be of even more use for you to spend this last half an hour in our, in our first segment of the show today? 563-999-3581. Ever have any fears? Ever learned from facing and being with your fear and inviting it to show itself more fully? ever grown from a fearful experience? The essence of these teachings is that we can only truly grow as we allow and accept everything in life to unfold as it always does without us generating resistance, anger, fear, bitterness, negativity at any level. And as we do that, consciously allowing, we do what this book calls integrating that that experience. And one way to look at a reason for being in a body on the planet, having a physical life, is to learn to integrate more and more and more. And by integrate they mean be able to be in the moment, fully in the flow, experiencing what's happening, allowing it, accepting it, and choosing for love, choosing for compassion, choosing for joy and gratitude. And as we've talked about in the analogy of building muscle at a gym, That's one way to think about why am I here. I'm here to learn how to do the heavy lifting, so to speak, in the spiritual or psychological terms, of staying loving in the middle of situations that my conscious, logical mind wants to tell me are bad or wrong or shouldn't be happening. And if I can learn to stay loving... In more and more situations, I have something different than what most people have. Most people in this physical experience choose upset, bitterness, anger, hurt, resentment, confusion, pain, suffering, simply because they can't wrap their conscious logical mind around what is happening or what's unfolding in their life and make sense of it as something that is good or could lead to good, etc., because we get caught up in the dream of separation. So, what are your thoughts on the matter of fear and ego? and your perfect safety, and your true nature, and or the purpose of life. Just a little light conversation for a Monday afternoon. 563-999-3581. Call that number. Press 1. Let us know your thoughts. We have nobody in the chat room but me, and we've got about seven or eight people on the switchboard. And we have plenty of time for a conversation. Let us know how this is landing with you. Let us know whether or not you have a different set of thoughts about why you're here and what what your life purpose is, and whether or not any of this is useful from a from your individual perspective and or tell us about a worksheet you've done recently or a situation where you generated some negative emotional states and it would be good to do a worksheet and you haven't done one yet maybe because you don't know how maybe because you are resisting the change that you know would happen if you did the worksheet process Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. Call that number, press one on your phone, and let us know either how we can be of more service to you and or what are your thoughts about the reading that I just did? Area code 610.
3: Susan? Hi, Dr. Tim. Maybe. I
0: won't be able oh, to great. talk long because I'm, I'm on the road, but I'm loving this. It's cutting-edge stuff. I'm going to have a a, a root canal, and you'd think I'd be generating a lot of fear about that, but uh, something physical like that isn't where my fears come from. So I'm watching how how wonderfully I'm allowing this. I'm just going to open my mouth and say, go go for it, doc. But in other ways, uh, practicing allowing and breathing and sitting in the middle of not feeling good and allowing that. Uh, I just—I don't have any questions right now because I'm on the road and I don't have my book in front of me, but I just wanted to say right on such such good stuff, and I want to tell about a. We have a brand new young minister in our church, priest. It's an episcopal church, and he gave the best sermon. He got up there in the pulpit. And we had just read the passion narratives. So grim, flogging, betraying people, covering up for people, and trouble and suffering. And he gets into the pulpit and he says, "Okay, we could." just in all this. This is very heavy stuff. But he said a lot of beautiful things happened. Like, think of the women who walked the road with Jesus when he was going to get crucified. And think of the, the man from Africa, Simon of Cyrene, who offered to carry the cross. And think of the wife of Pontius Pilate, who had a dream and believed it and went to him and said, this guy is innocent. Um... Don't, don't crucify him. Don't punish him. And Pilate listened to him, and the best he could do was say, I wash my hands of this. But the crucifixion went ahead, and he, he emphasized all the good things, which you've done on the radio show. And it was such a great sermon, and it doesn't undo the bad stuff at all. But it reminds us to balance and we have no balance these days because good news is not published much. And bad news is published all the time, and there's always plenty of it. So um, I'm going to get off and follow my GPS. This, this place is 40 minutes from my house, so I don't know where I'm going yet. But thanks so much for reading that stuff and putting that summary together. Good
2: good stuff. Well, you're very welcome. Drive safely and thanks for the comments and I'll thanks. I'll add some comments to that. I'll mute you so you don't have to worry about talking and you can focus on driving. You know, whether or not you want to think of the biblical stories as literal truth or as parables, etc., there's somebody in biblical times, if they were just parables, or whether or not it was a literal story... There's someone, as Susan Bingham was just pointing out, that took the uh, the same perspective as um, Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood would take. And he, he would say, my mother always told me, when any, whenever anything bad happens, look for the helpers. And this is exactly what we were trying to talk about a number of times in the past few weeks on this internet show, we listened to um, uh, a kind of a hot seat conversation with um, Abraham Hicks where the gentleman was just railing about all the negativity in the world and all the suffering and the six million Jews that were killed in the gas chambers and on and on and on. And the point that is made, whether it's um, Mr. Rogers' mother or the the young priest in the sermon that Susan was just talking about, is these negative things happen. These very intense things happen, even if we don't want to label them as negative. Painful. They, They require major adjustments, either in finance or in, you know, adjustments to to maintain physical safety or end physical suffering for people, these things do happen. And it's never all that's happening. There's always more going on. And there's always far more good going on than all the negative you can find. And so our choice, as Abraham was pointing out to the person in the hot seat, is what are you going to focus on? And when you focus a bunch of your energy on things that you don't want and you don't have any energy, any um, authority to change for the better, you just create more upset for yourself. You just create more negativity in your life. And so these spiritual teachings coach us to pay attention to what is it that you do have some control over
1: and how are you
2: going to use it to improve your experience of life in the next moment? Because that's something we could choose to do. So, yes, the story about Jesus, a lot of really bad things happened as people are in this Easter week talking about the stations of the cross and the torture and death that was perpetrated um, on Jesus. And this is the time of year when different religions calling themselves Catholic or Christian celebrate that or commemorate it rather than celebrate it. And Susan Bingham gives us a wonderful example. Here's a young priest who's decided, hey, we have a choice about what we're going to focus on. And even when they were making the biblical story, they, they understood that. Or they wouldn't have added the story about Herod's wife, or they wouldn't have added the story about the women walking with him. And So what are we going to focus on? Are we going to focus on all of the negativity? And the people who have, as the way of mastery would call us to understand The people who have either temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance and their infinite capacity to achieve whatever they would like or whatever they truly need in the world without having to hurt anyone else, are we going to focus on that and understand that anybody who does hurtful things to another person is hurting themselves or they wouldn't be able to do something hurtful to someone else or are we going to think oh there's all this evil out there and there's all this bad and we're going to objectify it and externalize it and then create a a fearful picture of the world for ourselves and imagine that we are living in a place that can take things from us that are of value, are we going to pay attention to these very, very old, very, very well-rehearsed spiritual teachings that say your true nature is perfectly safe. Nothing of value can be taken from you. Nothing of value can be added unto you. And as long as you've got consciousness and a physical body, we would encourage you to decide actively for yourself what are you going to choose to focus your awareness upon? How are you going to choose to use your physical, mental, emotional energy? Are you going to choose it focusing on all of the disruptive, painful, nasty, hurtful things, insulting things in life, the physically violent things in life, or are you going to focus it on those things that you have direct control over, and choose again, as Diedrich Olzak would call us to do. Choose again and choose for love. Choose again and choose a different interpretation of life in this moment, one that leaves you feeling hopeful, loving, compassionate, joyful, or at least rooted in your conscious awareness as a part of the flow of life expanding infinitely at least that much step into what the way of mastery called us to many times through that year last year as we were reading that that book step into divine ignorance step into the realization that you don't really know what anything is or is for you don't truly know what any of your brothers and sisters need in this moment you don't need you don't know what you need you don't know how this moment if you don't resist it if you go with the flow could bring you things that are far better than you would ever imagined you don't know you do know that when you have pain or fear or sadness come up and you judge this moment is bad or wrong you know how that feels And you can decide, do you want more of that? Do you want more of that feeling of the hurt or the bitterness or the upset or the grief or the anger or the resentment? Because if you want more of it, you can create more of it. If you don't prefer it, you can create something else. And as the way of mastery would call us to pay attention to, you have this powerful ability to achieve anything you desire without hurting anyone else. And it begins with allowing and accepting the flow of life and then learning to work with it as it arises, as you experience it much the way you would if you were in a kayak or a canoe on a river. You don't get to change the flow of the river. And yet, if you work with it, if you start with the allowance and acceptance part of working with it, there's a lot you can do to improve your situation, to navigate to where you would like to go. It isn't recommended most often but it's even possible to make it upstream if you know what you're doing if you pay attention to the water the way it actually is and what, whatever the uh, hazards you might call them might be the obstructions in the flow, the downed trees, the rocks, etc. that might be hidden from view if you take all of it into account because you're paying attention you're alert and awake and you're doing direct observation, you can navigate the river safely. It is never a good thing to try to pretend that the massive tree that fell down and is blocking half of the flow of the river is not there. Or to you know, fly into rage or upset because, oh, that was such a beautiful tree and, you know, it it shouldn't have fallen and whether you're getting mad at climate change or you're getting mad at some beaver that chewed the bottom of the tree or it doesn't... Getting angry at the flow of life is a waste of your energy and it most often produces effects we do not desire. And if you can observe that for yourself, there's the rational set of observations that would lead you to learning and working more with going with the flow. However you might define that in any situation, learning to allow the flow of life, learning to observe it directly, learning that every time you judge something as bad or wrong, it is a, an expenditure of energy that you can't get back and it doesn't assist you in reaching any of your goals for safety or joy or happiness in life. It just gives you more time to suffer. So, 563-999-3581. Call that number. Press 1. Help us uh, wrap up this show. What are your thoughts? What are your comments? What are your questions? We have about seven minutes left let us know how we can support you for the next seven minutes or what you would like us to spend some time with um, later on in the week as we have other days to pick up topics or discuss books or do worksheets 563-999-3581 I know we're in an area that many people have great difficulty with. And that's why it becomes such a ripe topic for philosophical and spiritual discussions because so many of us have life experiences that we do not prefer. And if we have those experiences and we think that our rejection of the the experience and our labeling it as bad or wrong is productive, then we'll spend more and more time in that energy only to discover it was never productive. I cannot benefit from... judging or resisting the flow of life. I can only... Guy Finley says in one of his talks, slumber in my suffering. I think that's also a line from the way of mastery. So if you'd like a miracle in your life, the Course in Miracles simply says... All you need do is make a shift from a fearful thought to a loving thought and you will experience a miracle. Area code 541. You're in the air, I hope.
3: Yes, this is Celinda.
2: Welcome.
3: And... um... I thought I would help you out. If possible, I can always, I can always answer your question. So it's perfect. Um, I am uh, Larry, and I are also reading A Walk in the Physical. And um, one of the things that I um, resisted all my life, out of first belief from my evangelical background, but second uh, because of my coming at life from a way of suppressing my painful emotions. Meditation has been something that has been very, very challenging for me, partially because my springboard into experience is from the intellectual side first. But um, I I also realize that there's a time where the thinking process breaks down for me, and I just have to let go and until uh, inspiration comes up. So meditation, and what was interesting is that he talks about meditation, and I read yesterday evening the meditation essays that he referenced to, and then I found at the very back the few pages where he goes into meditative practices, and I haven't read them yet. Uh, I think it's amazing for me that he basically says meditation is the only way, or not the only way, but a primary way to find, um, to experience actuality within oneself. And I was... um, thanking you for doing all of this. And also for myself for being willing to listen. And that's all I have to say because it's like accepting myself where I am and resting in that place and asking to be shown and then not trying to force my way into the experience. And uh I may be going to a Vipassana retreat, which scares me silly uh, and which, which, I, you, which you
2: which you mean to say which you mean to say is, you have found a way to generate <laughs> some fear about
3: that's right,
2: because there's a part of you that understands nothing outside of you generates your fear independent of you. Right. and your your choice well, of how to interpret myself. and respond to it so you have right. chosen to myself. generate quite a bit of fear about going on a, a vipassana retreat okay go on
3: right and that's it i scared my i scare myself and um i'm just in that state of waiting do i get to go or don't i because i'm 20th on the list the wait list, but anyway, that's what I wanted to share with you as my big fear at the moment is getting in touch with my feelings and um the meditation I intuitively know is a way to get in touch with that deeper part of myself of which I have chosen to scare myself with,
2: okay, well.
3: I get shaky just thinking about it, by the way. I I shake myself just thinking about it.
2: (laughs) Well, it's it's a great thing to do
3: worksheets on. It's a wonderful
2: thing to do worksheets on. You're generating fear, and the worksheet would ask you, okay, what thought are you using to generate that fear? And um, what's the goal that you have, either to, to go on the retreat and have everything be peaceful or to not go on the retreat and cancel those various goals? that are related to the various thoughts you're using to create your fear, and watch what, what shifts happen. It is not required that you stay in fear or that you continue to generate fear about a retreat,
3: Or that especially, I to to especially now or that you've been
2: introduced to tools like this.
3: Right, right. Or even thinking one way or the other, either or, that I go or I don't go. You know, it's just like, uh, what what is the best situation in this moment? And it will show up. I've done this before, where I say, if the doors open, I'm going through. If they don't open, I'm at peace. Okay. I have experienced well, that before.
2: I would encourage you to do the worksheets on the fear. And I thank you for the call. I'm going to mute you so we can move on with the second hour now that Jeannie Rice has shown up on the switchboard. Thank you to both Susan and Selinda for your comments. And I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tam. <laughs> appreciate it.
2: You're very welcome and deserving. Have a great show.
1: Oh. Welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Today is Monday, April the 3rd, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we are back in Bristol and uh, had a Good trip. It was a long trip, but a good trip coming back. We made it all in one day and, uh, got some things done yesterday. So we're here today and tomorrow. We'll do a pre-recorded one more time when we see that's when we have dad's, uh, service and burial. And, uh, but today and tomorrow and Thursday and Friday, we are live. So we'd love to hear your comments and waiting on Michael to get dialed in. I uh, did get finally, <laughs> I was behind a little bit for the last couple weeks, but anyway, we have the um, archive to the book club from March the 23rd. I finally got that online, so you can access that under the book club archive, and uh, what else is new? The next book club will be on the 13th and the 27th of April, and we have... Uh, The Mind Shifter Still Point Breathing on April the 15th, and um, I think it's about all right now, and I'll let Michael, when he gets on, talk about Heartland, and um, if there are any links that are not working, again, please let me know. Did get an email from someone who had been in the book club uh, on the 24th, and that's actually what kicked me into gear to to get the archive online um, he says, Dear Michael, I'm just reaching out to thank you for the teaching yesterday evening, which was the evening of the book club. You blew me away with your knowledge and it really excited me as well as reinforcing the things that I've been working hard at for the last few years. You shared some ideas that have already made an impact. I'm looking forward to the next time that you join us. Enjoy your family get together. So the one that he's talking about is from the um, the last one in March, so you can go out if you didn't join us for that, click on that link and listen to it. They actually walked a young lady through doing a worksheet. And they've already gone through the book and they've gone back and they were talking about doing chapter by chapter, but so far they've been doing worksheets with different people and and that has proved to be very beneficial for everybody that's part of the club. So... Michael's already been out in the garden this morning and getting some things ready and ramped up. It looks like our freezing weather is maybe over with, hopefully, and uh, so we'll be starting to do some planting and we'll get the flower garden going and get some vegetables in the other garden. And so, looking forward to participating out in the dirt and the soil again. And we'll see if he's having trouble getting. Okay, he is with us. Guys.
4: I am. The phone was fighting me. So welcome everybody. Honored once again and delighted that you're here. So that we can carry on this awesome conversation about forgiveness. I'm a little out of breath. I've been out working and getting some I was around gathering grass from the neighborhood and for our compost pile need those greens and we don't have a way of collecting them here, so I've been out running the neighborhood. Got some nice hot grass ready to go into the uh, into the compost pile to assist in that process of breaking things down and producing soil. We're probably well over the ten, maybe even the twelve ton mark now in the last four years of building soil, and that has been a a fun project. In any event, we're delighted that you're here and uh, an honor to be part of the conversation. It's, uh a conversation that's been going on for the last, oh, 12 years now, okay. getting into, you know, we're heading toward 13. And one of the pieces of the puzzle that came into the uh, why is this happening to me again work after, mm, mm, let's see, 40 40 years or so. You know, if you were in one of the original Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshops I did for the first 25 or 30 years, you always saw the top of the board I wrote three words. I'd write deny, and then I'd write suppress, and then I'd write project. And I'd explain how when we're in denial, we dissociate from content in our minds and that we suppress that information and then when someone comes along and resonates what we've suppressed then we project we use that information to build our brain's image of them and they literally show up in the construct of our mind as the problem in our lives and then about probably hmm, maybe seven years ago on this radio show maybe eight i'm not sure that three-word structure changed i was very directly instructed that it wasn't deny and um, suppress but rather it was deny and dissociate and the difference between those being well something suppressed so it's there I can just you know pull it up it's been hidden but I can pull it up where dissociate takes it to a whole other level of understanding that when I'm in denial and our definition of denial is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me then I'm in denial but when I'm in denial what happens is I have to hide the truth about what the cause is of my disturbance from myself. And I don't just suppress it, I dissociate from it. I literally cut myself off from the experience of it by my dissociation. And when I do that process of dissociation, I literally press energy into that content, I add energy to it. I use the example of, you know, I've got a three-foot diameter spring that stands three feet tall, and it's sitting here on the floor, but, of course, on the floor it can't do anything. It just sits there. But when I press on it, and I press on and I hold it down, and I press on it, I put a potential energy into that that when I finally let the spring go, whoa, it skyrockets. A lot of potential stored in it. So the more one lives in the the world of blame and, you know, it's kind of I've I've come to the point of realizing that that world is uh, a world that's been around from the beginning. You know, there are a lot of people who who have this conversation going on about their fear of this one world satanic religion that's coming and they don't have any idea that most of them are already members of it. Most of us are already members of it. The one world satanic religion is the one world religion of blame it's been here forever go back to the earliest time one of you know adam's first conversations with the creator is about how the creator was to blame and the woman was to blame for what happened that woman you gave me (laughs) so there is where the initiation of that one world religion began and it's been around forever and we we tend to, by virtue of being born into this world and having all the modeling and all the brainwashing that's given to us, we tend to become members, card-carrying members of that religion of blame. How many people do you know that when there's pain or trauma going on inside of them, step right up and go, oh, I'm in pain or trauma? And how many do you know that go and have a conversation about somebody else and how it's all their fault? That's the one world religion of blame. That's where projection occurs. But the reason I'm sharing this is a a new insight came for me in this whole cycle and another perspective Or and and it's similar, but it was, for my mind anyway, it was a good refinement uh, to, and what occurred to me is that another way to explain this denial, dissociation, and projection is when somebody thinks that the reason they're Using their minds the way they are is somebody else's fault. So when I say, you know, the only reason I'm thinking this way, the only reason I'm feeling this way is because of what you did. Excuse me. What your mind is doing is what your mind is doing. Got to stop the blame game. If you have a mind that habitually goes, oh, I'm a poor victim, then you have a mind that works that way. You've got to someday own that your mind works that way and then decide or maybe perhaps make a new choice and say, I think I want to operate my mind differently than the habitual patterns of my family, of my culture, of the brainwash that's been fed to me. And so this, Denial process is when, I, when I'm when i in the state of blame that somebody else is the reason I'm using my mind the way I am. And again, I'm using my mind the way I am because that's the way I am using my mind. And when I recognize that, and if it's always, oh, I'm being attacked, it's all your fault, or it's always, oh, look at me, I'm the victim, or, or or whatever the habit is, if you notice that there's a pattern, if there's a why is this happening to me again in your life that you do with your mind, you're doing that with your mind. Nobody else can make that happen. And when I recognize that, then when I catch myself using my mind in a way that is self-deprecating, that is self-destructive, that puts responsibility for what I'm doing with my mind on somebody else, you know, if my mind automatically comes back when, when something happens that I don't like with blame, then I'm right back to that church that I'm carrying a card for. I'm a member of that one world religion. And my observation is virtually everybody it's a card-carrying member. And the, the problem with that is that I never get to directly confront the disintegrative qualities of energy that are held within my body. Because every, if, I, if I'm living in that blame game, every time something moves in me that's painful, I use that pained energy to build a picture of somebody else. So, so that I'm still feeling the pain, but my belief is that I'm feeling the pain because of this picture in my mind, rather than realizing I have this picture in my mind because I am in pain. And when I start to see that every time I'm using my mind in a destructive way, it's my opportunity to change that game, whatever everybody else is doing. Somebody comes along with the biggest rage, attack, put down, destructive influence, you know, um, blame for you. And you can say, well, that's an interesting concept. Unless you're stuck in the game of denial, dissociation, and projection, and you go into, well, why are you doing that to me? This is all your fault that I'm using my mind this way. It's a big, big wake-up call. And it means changing the habits of mind that have been ingrained in you probably for a thousand generations. And each one of us has to make that journey. If we decide to see our relationships as support for that rather than playing the blame game every time, then we can, as we've spoken about so many times, become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. And when we do that, we can see the habits that we've structured into our minds. There's actually a, a line in the Lord's Prayer, what's called the Lord's Prayer, which of course it's not a prayer, it's a set of instructions, but that line where there's a line that can be properly translated as get us out of our habit mind. So if the habit is to always turn every negative feeling that moves in you into your mind using it to prove that it's somebody else's fault. And, you know, once you decide to do that, the, the, the variations on the theme that you can come up with of hallucinating realities to prove that somebody else is the problem in your life, well, it's only limited by the varieties of power person dynamics that you have within your, your genes. And so if someone comes along with some big, horrible, destructive, terrible thing, I can go, I think I'll take a breath and stay connected to love rather than go into my mind's game of, I'm using my mind to produce pain because of you rather than I'm using my mind's pain to produce pain because I have pain in me. And this is my opportunity to stop the conversation about blaming everybody else and step into responsibility, and to step into forgiveness, and forgive from my mind the habit of using my mind in an unconscious way. Now, that means touching into the unconscious dynamics that you hold, and that's never Dr. Feelgood. So virtually nobody wants to go there. It feels a whole lot better, or at least people on a conscious level think it feels a whole lot better, and that's one of the reasons people go into hostility when they're doing that because hostility is an anesthetic that keeps them from feeling the pain that they're inflicting upon themselves. I like to use, for that, for that dynamic, I like to use the acronym SIN, self-inflicted nonsense. People do that to themselves whenever they want to blame somebody else for the way that they're using their own minds. And so when we wake up from that, there's an opportunity to use your mind as it was designed to be used, and that is it was designed to be used as a servant of love. Your mind, each of our minds, is designed to be used as a servant of our true being, not as a mechanism of defense to convince everybody else that they're the problem in your life. If you've lived in that game and you've done that one world religion, notice that, you know, whatever age range you are, 40 years ago it was Harry and 25 years ago it was Hortense and 35 years ago it was Bill and then it was and then it was and then you'll notice there's somebody else on the list today. And when you recognize that, sooner or later you start to say, hmm, why am I doing this to myself again? Why am I still playing this game rather than using my mind as a servant to support my true being and to bring that true being into the world, into my body? Because unless every cell in your structure is functioning from the energy field of the active presence of love, your tissue structure is in a diseased state. My offering is, you know, my backgrounds in electronics, with a side study in physics and in the world of physics, what we know is everything is energy, everything is eternal, and neither been created nor destroyed. So if that's true, then we must be energy. Our form must be energy, and if it is, then it must be eternal. When you think about humanity, you know we've got records of people living to be eight and nine hundred years. When you think about humanity, we're at the point we've been so brainwashed, so trapped in hostility, fear, and blame, that we're down to the point where if somebody lives a hundred years, we think they've lived a really long life. And I'd offer that a hundred years is a flash in the pan; it is nothing. I mean, it's a big deal in our culture today. But the truth is, when you realize you're designed to be eternal, Well, no, Michael, everybody dies. Yeah, everybody's doing it. You might remember an old scriptural warning that said, do not be conformed to the world. The world has impinged on us every form of blame, hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, and told us it's good, and told us that we need to turn it on somebody else. And, gee, when the king demands it, go make war on somebody and kill them, because problem in your life or the problem in the king's life. When do we as human beings wake up in mass? Yeah, truly become woke to the fact that your created nature is active present love. You and I are designed to function as active present love. And you will never actualize that until you stop blaming somebody else for the way you're using your mind. And so the tool of forgiveness is the tool of removal. Out of the mind, those thoughts based in hostility, fear, and blame, and literally remove them from your structure. There was a technology that was offered by this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago for exactly how to do that. Now, those teachings went to the Greco-Roman world, and they weren't interested in taking responsibility. They were so deeply ensconced in blame that they turned the whole teaching around. said, Yeah, we have this wonderful tool called forgiveness. And if you're using your mind to inflict pain on yourself, then just find somebody out there to blame for it and forgive them. Let them off the hook for what you're doing to yourself, for your sin, for your self-inflicted nonsense. When do we wake up and go, hmm, I've been through this 87 different times with 42 different people. And I'm the one that was there every time. Maybe this is mine, maybe this is about me. Maybe it's time for me to start to learn to remove that dynamic from my mind. So that's the bottom line of this work. And again, a new slant, if you weren't with us in the beginning on this idea of denial, dissociation and projection. Yes, the definition we've given is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me. But this other perspective, oh, when I'm blaming somebody else for the way I'm using my mind, I'm in denial. And your mind only operates under your auspices. Other people can resonate and trigger all kinds of things in you, But you're the one who's responsible for what you do with it, for the way you use your mind with whatever moves. And if what moves is pain, rather than getting into the conversation about everybody else, that's the time to stop and go, oh, I think I'll stop using my mind to produce pain. What a novel idea. And so we're here to support and invite that understanding and that revelation to come to every mind, heart, and being on the planet and do that by putting the tool of forgiveness to work. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Okay, she's, she's got Aria, so she's Okay, sweetie.
1: No, nope, Nobody's got a hand up, and there's nobody in the chat room, so it's all quiet.
4: Well, if you're out there in listener land, hopefully that resonated a few things for you. And maybe some questions or some process work to be done. Some support you need. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our calling number is 563 563- 999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And then if you push 1, that'll raise a hand in the control panel and we'll be having a conversation. So does that all make sense to you? And if not, where's the glitch? Push 1, let's have a conversation about it. Anything that you need support within your life, any questions about any of this work from the codependence worksheet to the reality management to the communication, any and all of the tools, we're here to support. So what's on your mind? 563-999-3581. And, you know, oftentimes, well, the people that uh, question, and they wait till the last five minutes to get their question in. What I'm going to advise you to do is push the button now, and let's set the conversation now, Not wait till the last two minutes, and you know, a lot of people set themselves up. Oh, well, I'll wait till the last five minutes, and oh, then there's somebody else on the line, and I don't get to ask my question. So if you're out there in listener land, let's have a conversation. Push one. Let's talk about it. Anything on your mind for today, Genie? Jeannie?
1: No, I think probably I was your uh, motivation for your talk. <laughs> well, actually,
4: this, uh, this conversation that I just had came from a, a conversation I had with someone several days ago. So,
1: No, I don't have anything to add. Come on, someone press one. We've got 35 minutes.
4: Lots of time for questions, con- conversation. Come on, you're out there. Let's talk about it. What's on your mind? Well, I thought that conversation would awaken all kinds of of thoughts and conversation, but I guess not. So let's move on to another topic. And this kind of relates. You know, there's a wonderful quote from Albert Einstein where he says, If you think you are separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. And ultimately, what that means is that if one of us is suffering, that on some level, the rest of us are also suffering. And I think that becomes a call to service, a call to reach out and offer support to those who have no idea that there's a way to heal their minds. And if if Einstein's correct, then by reaching out and assisting others to alleviate what appears to be their suffering, then in fact you're alleviating your own. When we realize that you know, they're, they're, I've been doing some research on aging, and I'm working an article on supporting people in becoming their own healthcare providers. There are 61 countries in the world that have an average lifespan of 68-plus years. 64 countries where people live to be 78 years plus. Singapore, 84 years is their life, average lifespan. Estonia, behind what used to be the Iron Curtain, an average of 78 years. And interestingly enough, America, where we spend literally 10 times the amount on what people call health care, than any other country in the world, guess what? We're number 62. America is 62 in life expectancy, and for the first time in history, that life expectancy over the last few years has gone down. How, I mean, when you think about that, it's mind-boggling this country that has more wealth than any country in the world has ever even imagined, has more resources, and 61 other countries are ahead of us in their lifespan? How bizarre is that? And what are we doing to ourselves? What, what's going on? I think that you know what we're seeing happening in the political world is just a manifestation of the disease processes that people are bringing down on themselves. You'll notice, you know, I mean, just open any news station, any time of the day or night, and listen to all of the conversations about blame. Everybody that's in blame is in a diseased condition by definition. If I don't want to own what's happening inside of me, I'm talking about how you're the cause of it, my physiology is diseased. And if my physiology is diseased, then maybe it's time for me to do something about it. And rather than following what, this country, what the minds in this country have been brainwashed to do. The media has had a big part in this. It's definitely time for us to wake up and realize who we are as human beings, to make real who we are as love, and recognize what we're doing to ourselves. But to really ask yourself the question, what's running your physiology? Is hostility or fear? running your physiology? If so, then what are you going to do about it? Is blame a regular part of your conversation in the world? What are you going to do about it? I mean, do you want to be limited to that 76 years? 77 years, pardon me? My offering is that all death is suicide. We are not designed to die. In order for a person to die, they must engage in some form of energy other than love to produce that result. And when we do, what happens is because well, let let's go back to, you know, a principle we've talked about many times over the years. In the opening words in the book of John do not say, as we've been told it says, In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. It's not what it says. He says, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. Tube, and type in um, Bruce Lipton. Start listening to some of his videos. Here's a cell biologist who's proving in the laboratory exactly what the opening words in the book of John say. What he's showing is, when you think a thought, a molecule appears in your body. It's called a neuropeptide. Something which we consider non-physical, a thought, appears in form as physical. Then that thought circulates around in the structure until it finds a receptor site on a cell that matches. So it lands on the cell, and that neuropeptide, that thought in form, inserts itself through that neuropeptide into the cell. And if we were sitting inside of the cell watching that neuropeptide land and appear inside the cell, what we would see is what we call chemistry. So literally, thoughts become chemistry. If there is a disease process going on in your tissue structure, if there's hurt, if there's pain, if there's sadness, if there's fear, if there's rage, then your tissue structure is suffering. And again, sin, self-inflicted nonsense. We do this to ourselves. When do we give it up and really truly recognize who we are as love? And and watch what we how much we have to do with what happens on a tissue level, on a cellular level, because whatever is running your mind is running your physiology. And what forgiveness does is it collapses the end result of denial, dissociation, and projection. Projection is simply a picture perception a construct of the mind what forgiveness does is collapses that perception and if you imagine when it collapses that perception that that construct of the mind the picture world that your mind makes up you're not seeing what's outside of you with your eyes the picture world your mind makes up when you apply forgiveness collapses and it collapses in on itself and gives you access to what underlies the pained perception So what what takes place, and this is the thing most people don't ever want to do, is they don't want to directly feel, oh, I'm feeling the pain, but I feel okay about it because I'm blaming Bill. What people don't want to do is feel the pain and then go, and I'm the cause of it and I need to feel it directly rather than project you know if I can project in my brains image of you I am a helpless hopeless victim it's all your fault and I can go oh well that's the way it goes nothing I can do to people who believe that way there's a, a powerful story in the ancient scriptures where a group of disciples come together with yet with Yeshua and he starts explaining to them what they have to do and half of the disciples said too hard a to saying and they got up and left because they didn't want to do the difficult work of Yeshua. And that work I offer is the work of forgiveness. So what we're here to support is a a very real and practical understanding of that work. we've organized the tools in a a way that they become usable by anyone and anyone who put the pen to the paper and do the work will begin to process through what ultimately for most people are generations and generations and generations and generations of blame. Which means directly confronting and experiencing, feeling the energy of the unresolved pain of the generations. But when one allows themselves to directly feel the unresolved pain of the generations, and they do it in a context of active present love, it is the presence of love that dissolves the presence of that energy within the structure and frees us from it. So we are literally here with a refined set of tools to support you in letting go literally of your very capacity for any form of pain. To generate anything within you, to allow any energy pattern within you that could produce any form of pain, to remove it. So that your physiology becomes a fit vehicle for the presence of love on the earth. That's what we are here to express and to experience with ourselves and with each other. We all come in exactly the same way. You ask anybody that's held a newborn child and if they're able to tap into the essence of that newborn, and it's a question that Jeannie and I have asked of tens of tens of thousands of people over the years, Describe the essence of the newborn. And everybody's answer is always some variation on the theme of love. Everybody knows what human life is. And virtually everybody, when they're not living their human lives, has a conversation about somebody else instead of themselves. And that truly is a satanic religion. Now, before you get too far out on me, Let's define the word Satan as it was defined in the first century Aramaic language, Allah Yeshua. So Satan in Aramaic is not the name of some dude with a red suit, a tail, and a pitchfork, as hallucinated by the Greeks. Satan means the resistor, one who misleads. So if your mind, when you're asked to be responsible for your pain, when you're asked to be responsible for the fact that you're in trauma and your mind says, no, no, not me, look, it's you, that is being trapped in Satan. And, and literally, most of the world has spent their whole lives being trapped in Satan. When there's pain, it's all somebody else's fault. So Satan misleads us. This resistor within us, this is a condition within the human mind resistance to responsibility, resistance to changing realities. If you've got a pained reality and you want to blame somebody else, oh, the resistance to letting that go. What if you just stopped blaming and you went, oh, there's pain moving in me. I think if I bring active, present love to this pain, no, I think I'll keep my conversation up about you. Well, everybody got a choice. But if, if you're going to tell me how you think you have a relationship with the creator and then you acknowledge that the creator is love and when you're in pain or trauma, you don't turn to love but rather you turn to blame, don't tell me you've got a relationship with the creator. Don't tell me you even believe in the creator if where you go is into defensiveness and hate and fear and rage and guilt and blame. So when they said in the ancient teachings, there will come a time when the whole world will be fooled. I mean, we're there big time. And what we're here to support and what we're here to do is to offer the tools for gaining liberty from your past, from the habit mind of the generations, to really enter into the space where you function as active, present love. 24-7, Twenty four seven three sixty five. So Miss Jeannie, do we have any hands up out there? Everybody's so quiet today. Do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room, sweetie? I think I can hear you talking, sweetie, but uh, but you must be muted. Hello, Janie. Well, it seems like we've lost her. I'll tell you what, let me just take a second here. And see if I, oh, I think you're trying to open up, Jeannie. I'm hearing that rattle that your phone sometimes gives.
1: Oh, I was, the funeral home had just called. I had to switch over. Uh, oh, okay. But I'm back.
4: Breathing with There's
1: you.
0: No hands up.
4: Okay. Well, I'm complete with my thoughts for today. Unless you've got something else to add, then I think we should just say thank you, everybody, for joining us. The best year yet of your eternal life. Last call, I'd rather continue with conversation with somebody. Otherwise, I appreciate you joining us. Have a blessed day and the best year yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Bye-bye. I more
0: consciously, evolving
1: Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet, as we present the First Century Aramaic Internal Process of Forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mindshifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.yagain.org. That's www. Dot W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot org